Welcome to the Abiding Word, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Jim Swaggart of Calvary Christian Fellowship, St. Mary's, Ohio. Pastor Jim is teaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the entire Bible. So let's join Pastor Jim as he begins today's study. I feel better than what I sound. I just fit right in with the rest of the church that are fighting colds and whatever it is we're fighting, right? Well, turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. As we continue through our study in the book of Daniel. And as we enter into Daniel chapter 7, we're really beginning a new section in the scriptures. The first six chapters being more historical in nature, giving us the history of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon coming in, besieging Jerusalem, and then taking captive the young men like Daniel and his three friends, captive, back to Babylon. And certainly as we look at the details of Daniel, his life, his devotion to God, as an exile, I pray that, you know, the Lord's speaking to us as we are living in this fallen world, exile, because our, as the word tells us, our citizenship is in heaven. We are nothing more than pilgrims here on earth. And aren't you so glad our hope is not built on this earth? Thank you for listening and saying amen. You know, the apostles, when they look given the word, and as they, the Lord gave them the future, the second coming of Jesus, as we sang this morning, a glorious day coming, they saw that as their blessed hope. And for you and I, it's the same thing. And, and through Daniel's life, we can hopefully see that God gives us the strength to be steadfast and not intimidated by the world that we live in. And uh, so as we, we begin this next section in Daniel chapter 7, we are, we're going to slow down because I believe the Lord has given us His Word that we would understand it. Do you believe that? Do you believe from Genesis to Revelation the Lord has given it to us so that we can understand it? So that's a challenge for Bible teachers or pastors to to share the Word of God, to be able to break it down in order that we understand it. Because I just don't want to give a lecture or a sermon. That's boring. But I also believe that just teaching through the Scriptures, based on what the Scriptures are, we can be encouraged, we can be comforted, we can have understanding, God can give us wisdom that relates to our life every single day. And as we enter chapter 7... We enter into the predictive or the prophecy sections of the book of Daniel. In fact, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 15, we'll get God's perspective of the things that I just said. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. And so the one another in the Spirit, in Christ, we come together, we get to worship the Lord, we get to look at the Scriptures together, and then we together pray and seek God, and hopefully He gives us what we need for perseverance. Not in hopes that we hope He gives us, but in hopes that we receive it. Amen? The Scriptures has that ability because of what the Scriptures are. It's the Holy Spirit, the book of life given to us. And so let's pick up in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read the first eight verses. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. And Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear, And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. And after this I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. And it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boast. Let's pray. Lord, we are in great need of your Holy Spirit as our teacher this morning to bring us the truth of your word. And Lord, as we just read those first eight verses, we might be thinking, what am I going to get out of this? But Lord, you have much to show us, to show that you are sovereign, you are in control, And Lord Jesus, you are the king, just as we sang this morning. So Father, through this passage of Scripture, and by your Holy Spirit, we pray for encouragement and strength, that you would give us understanding, not only to the times that we're living in, but to your plan, Lord, that you have for mankind. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. When you read these first eight verses, you kind of say, well, what is this? But I love John Wolbert who said this about these eight verses. The message of prophecy is really quite simple and may be summed up this way. Before the kingdom of God established on earth, there were four earthly kingdoms that will rise and fall. These kingdoms go from 
bad to worse, arrogant to boastful and even, than even blasphemous kings, will reign over nations, opposing God, oppressing believers, and all this is by divine design. So when sin and oppression of evil man reach a certain point, God will intervene and establish the promised eternal kingdom. So hopefully you've noticed that we studied Daniel, these four beasts or these four kingdoms correspond to the kingdoms found in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. Remember that dream that Daniel We have one battery left. One bar, I mean. <laughs> so, the four kingdoms in chapter 2 are connected to these four kingdoms in Daniel's vision. What's interesting is that in chapter 2, we get man's perspective on these kingdoms, and now in chapter 7, we get God's perspective. Interesting that God calls them beasts. Okay? God's perspective versus man's perspective. This speaks to me because when you think about what is man's problem in the world, it's because man lives by his own perspective compared to God's perspective. For instance, man is good. Man is good. Some of you are laughing. You know that's false, right? Man is not good. We're sinful. We're created and born into sin. Man is progressing to a higher humanity. It doesn't appear to me that we're progressing to a higher humanity. We're going downhill rather quickly. Man has all kinds of explanations of life after death, Right? Well, we just, uh, we just die. The body's dead and nothing more. Some think that, well, we, we're reincarnated into something. I turn into a cow or a rat or something. Or, um, but see, God has His perspective and His Word and His truth Man has all kinds of reasons of reality, and as we read through Daniel, again, I'm, I'm, I pray that we understand God, through Daniel, as he gives him visions 
And the chapters that we'll be looking at in the next several weeks and months, he's given it so we can understand the future of God's plan. And you might think, you know, you, you, you know, we just had an election here a few days ago, and it's, we knew it was going to be chaotic, but it's just a representation of man. And we might think, well, you know, my party's got to win or whatever, but, you know, it doesn't even matter because God's in control. He is in control. This world is operating, functioning. God is leading it to a place where God says in his word. And that's why it's important that we look at the scriptures and see what God's plan is and that in our hearts we long for his return. So, let's get to it. Verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. He wrote down the dream down and related the following summary of it. So the information here is important. Belshazzar, who's Belshazzar? He was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And this reminds us here, this is not chronological. What we read here of Daniel's visions and dreams is connected between Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5. So it's not chronological. But it's important to understand who Belshazzar is because the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar and remember in chapter 5, we saw Belshazzar through a great party with thousands of people. And then the handwriting was on the wall. Remember that? And remember what happened? The Medi-Persians came in just as God foreshown to Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel interpreted that. That's the second kingdom. And so chronologically, understand that you know, not, uh, it's not always chronological in the scriptures as you read through it. And then it says, Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. And so, here we begin. I will do my best to give you the interpretation of several of these nuggets. For instance, Facebook Live, huh? (laughs) 
So the great sea, four winds moving upon the great sea. It's interesting, the great sea symbolizes, as scholars point out, some point to this as fallen humanity. Makes sense, right? Some uh, more dogmatic point that this is the Mediterranean Sea, meaning these beasts, these kingdoms come from that area. I don't get bogged down on that stuff because the meaning's the same. But I will do my best to give these uh, descriptions uh, in their meaning. Verse 4. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. So the first beast here corresponds to the first kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Remember the head of gold, which is Babylon. Like a lion makes reference to, as scholars point out, the lion and eagle were symbols of Babylon. The lion represents supreme authority, great power, and swiftness. And of course, this is exactly how Nebuchadnezzar uh, conquered Jerusalem and conquered the world here. Descriptions point exactly to how he brought judgment upon himself as well. Remember, in his pride, Nebuchadnezzar was made insane for how many years? Seven years, right? And he was made to stand like a man. A human mind was also given to him. So God, here's a fulfilled prophecy from chapter 2. God did this. This has already happened. And to you and I, we have to then, this isn't just a sermon or a message or a lecture. This is okay. This happened. Now what? This happened. Now what? If God is sovereign, if we have this sovereign God, then what am I to do? What's God trying to show me? Well, I've already shared with you so much in Daniel. God's trying to show us that he's sovereign. And that we can live the life of a believer filled with the Spirit, to be encouraged, to live according to God's plan, the way He desires for us to live, even in this fallen world. Verse 5 gives us the second beast, and behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. So this beast... Corresponds with the second kingdom. The, do we have that? We don't have that up there, do we, of uh, the human statue? So this is the meaty Persian kingdom, resembling a bear, the bear representing a predator that rises up against this enemy, being fierce, deadly, and one who lies in wait. Interesting, in chapter 5 we saw Belshazzar, as they were having the drunken feast. Remember having the vessels used for worship in Jerusalem, they brought them out and they had their worshiping their pagan gods by using the articles of worship that was reserved in the temple. And then the, and then the Medi Persians were lying in wait to, to conquer them, and that's, a, that's what happened. The three ribs here referred to the nations that were victorious against Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. Verse 6 gives us the third beast. After this, I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. 
This corresponds to the third kingdom, which is Greece, the belly of thighs of bronze. Like a leopard, again, speaks of being swift, fast, much agility. On its back was four wings, showing us beyond human capability. And this is interesting. This actually happened in history under Alexander the Great. And then we also see Alexander the Great, if, and if you remember your history books, Alexander the Great died at a very young age. He was an alcoholic. And then when he died, the kingdom was divided into four kingdoms, Egypt, Persia, Western Asia, and Greece, and this connects with the four heads here. And then verse 7 says, After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So the fourth beast, representing the fourth kingdom, which was Rome, legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly clay, referring to the future Roman Empire. Remember, the Roman Empire then, and then yet a future empire. Again, laying all this out so we can understand what God shows us in His Word next. It shows us here this was far different. And with this fourth kingdom, no animal was identified. But the language describes how the Roman Empire had the great ability to crush anyone in its way. And then we come to the ten horns. The ten horns, which we will talk a lot about later. But here we need to see these ten horns is connected with the future Roman Empire. Okay? Now we get to the good stuff. It's all good, but verse 8. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boast. And so we have this little horn that comes out of the ten horns. This little horn that Daniel sees here is the Antichrist. Okay? Little horn is the Antichrist. Now, how did I come up with that? I can remember very early on in my walk with the Lord, Pastor Mike, who was here last week, we got into the book of Daniel, and we didn't know nothing from nothing. We just knew we were saved, and we had to tell people about Jesus, and we did. Once we got into the scriptures, I'll never forget, he starts sharing all this stuff, and I, hold on. Where are you getting your information from? And it was a great question, and you should be asking the same thing. Where are you getting your information from? Yeah, we trust you and all, but where are you getting your information from? Well, here's where real Bible study matters. This little horn, how, how can we say this is the Antichrist? Well, because the commentary says so right? Wrong answer. The best commentary of the Bible is what? 
The Bible itself, absolutely. This little horn is the Antichrist who rises around out of the ten horns, and we'll be looking a lot of who the Antichrist is in the Scriptures in coming weeks. But I want to show you something that's important in how we study the Bible. If you turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And I want you to pay close attention to the language. Revelations chapter 13, 1 and 2. And it says, And the dragon stood on the stand, on the sand of the seashore. Hmm. Where have we heard anything about the sea in Daniel 7? Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Hmm. Having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Now, who's the dragon? The dragon is Satan, okay? The beast here in which... By the way, in Revelation 13, this is John, who was also having a vision. God was showing him these things, and he was writing them down. And notice how it connects with what Daniel was seeing. Okay? Look at verse 6. It says there, And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is those who dwell in heaven. You go back to Daniel chapter 7, and we read the end of verse 8 there says, A mouth uttering great boast. How can we say this is the Antichrist? Well, the scriptures point to it that this is indeed the Antichrist. And so as we come to verses 9 through 14, we kind of change gears here in Daniel's vision as he kind of goes out there, if we were just reading it, but when we connect it with the Bible, he's seeing exactly what we see in the book of Revelation that's going on in heaven, and it's connected with all these kingdoms. The beast is connected. I think it was very well said last week, when you look at the world that we live in, all of this matters now. I use the phrase antichrist spirit in the world. And that is the world compared to God's kingdom. If it's not part of God's kingdom, it's part of the world and part of the system, the, the beast system. Why are the nations in an uproar? Well, it's spiritual. There's a spiritual battle being taken place each and every minute, moment, day. Every moment there's something going on, spiritually. And we're either part of God's kingdom or we're not. But here, this wonderful scene here in, that Daniel has in his vision. Verse 9 says, I kept looking until the thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. 
a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads are standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Now, if you just open up your Bible and read that, you say, what? But when you're in the Word, studying the Word, you get a picture that was, is fascinating. Tied in, again, with the book of Revelation. Here we see thrones. When you think of thrones being set up, you think of ruling kings or a supreme judge bringing forth judgment. And that's what Daniel sees here. He sees the Ancient of Days, and this is God the Father. Some commentators, I believe, wrongfully point to this being Jesus. I don't believe this is Jesus. Ancient of Days, in other contexts, is God the Father. So the the picture is God the Father sitting on His throne, bringing forth judgment. Now, when you tie in the timing, here's something. You know, here's the trouble of studying prophecy. And trouble for me. I just want to pour it all out on one Sunday. But I want to tell you something. Timing, the understanding of timing of all this is paramount. We've done other studies in Revelation throughout the years and times, and you always hear me say, the timing, understanding the timing of these things is vitally important, all right? In Daniel chapter 7, and this is what Daniel is seeing here in verses 9 and 10, the judgments, you know, there's many different judgments in the Bible. There is great white throne judgment, which is the end for non-believers. You and I as believers, we will stand before Christ at the bema seat of Christ. Our works will be judged. The judgment we see here. It's found in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus talks about this judgment. It's the judgment of the sheep and the goats, those who will enter into the millennial kingdom. And so when I throw out the millennial kingdom, you have to have your timeline, right? Where is the millennial kingdom, which we believe is a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ after the second coming of Christ? And so you need to do some homework. But this is where this judgment is in in the scriptures. This is the judgment seat of the nations, the judgment of sheep and goats, spoken of in Matthew chapter 25. Again, the Ancient of Days refers to God the Father. He is eternal. He is judge. The white snow points to the fact that the pure wool is pointing to the purity of God. The throne was a blazing fire. Have you ever heard the phrase, Our God is a consuming fire? And do you pick the, or do you see the the language here? A river of fire was flowing and coming out before him. So the picture that Daniel sees here is the Ancient of Days, God the Father sitting on his throne and the judgment, fire coming out. That shouldn't fear us, folks. Because our judgment was taking place at the cross. You and I, based on what the Word of God says, when we come to Christ, our sin was judged 
And Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and I. He took sin. He took our debt. He took what we owe to God, and he stood in the gap. He stood in the cross, and he provided a way to God. And then God looks at you and I, praise God, with the blood of his Son covering us. That's our judgment. But there is a time when this judgment, when God says enough is enough. How many of you ask, Lord, how much longer? Anybody ever asked that recently? Lord, how much longer? And it's not just sitting in traffic either, is it? But when you look how messed up our world is, it's like, Lord, how much longer? And I'm not even talking about the world. I'm talking about looking in the church and professing. Did you see this one this week? We had, oh my goodness, all these apostate men and women wearing collars professing to be priests blessing abortion clinics blessing their work and then I add Lord how much longer how much longer Well, everything happens in his perfect timing, and he wants us to see it. Verse 10 shows us this heavenly scene that's connected with Revelation chapter 5. You want to turn with me there or look on the screen? Revelation chapter 5. It's not up there. That means I want you to look in your Bible. Revelation chapter 5. Again, this is the scene that the Apostle John had, the angel revealing it to him. Revelation chapter 5.11 says this, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures, And the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You know that song, Revelation song that we sing for worship? That's right right out of there. Right out of the, the heavenlies. And I'm learning more and more, my Christianity really gets reduced, reduced, reduced. I'm so reminded, it's all about Jesus. When you look and we read in Daniel, we're looking right now, it is all about the Son, Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And we're going to touch on the books. In fact, if you do your own study in Revelation chapter 5, the scene in heaven is around a book. The book of life. The Lamb's book of life. And that's the picture Daniel's seeing here. A heavenly scene. God's showing this to him. And he's revealing it to us. The Lord's revealing it to us. Verse 11 says, 
Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. I love the Lord and what he does. And he shows us the future, the outcome of the battle that's taken place. The battle's already been won. God's in control. Satan loses. Well, we got this battle taking place between good and evil. No, that's just a little battle's taking place. The war's won. Jesus wins. And that points to Revelation chapter 19. Verse 12 says. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. This most likely refers to these different beasts, the kingdoms. For instance, the head of gold, the kingdom of Babylon, they were conquered, but yet they existed. The Medo-Persians were conquered, yet they existed. Greece conquered, was conquered, but yet they existed. Verse 13 says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Wow. So who's the Son of Man? The Son of Man is Jesus. And in the Gospels, I believe over 80 times, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. So pretend you're Daniel. And you're, gaining, you're getting this vision from God of things yet future, and you see, you don't even know the Messiah. You don't know who Jesus is. He just knows him as son of man. He doesn't know him like you and I know him. He sees this vision, and he sees dominion of the earth given to Jesus. And this is, this is fascinating. Again, it's, it's all about Jesus. Let's turn to Psalm 2 again. Psalm 2. I think this was interesting. It was read last week and certainly goes right in with now when you look at the world. What, what's the world all about? Well, it's about Jesus Christ. Let's look at this. Beginning in verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, who is who? Jesus, he's the anointed one, the Christ. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king 
Upon Zion, my holy mountain, I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. At the very ends of the earth as your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. Fascinating. All the previous world governments will be destroyed when the Son of Man comes, and His kingdom will last forever. Now, why would God want us to know His kingdom is going to last forever? Oh, to answer a test question at the end of the service. No, the Lord wants us to know this because this is our blessed hope. This is what we being in Christ, what He has done for me. I am redeemed. This will be a glorious day when I come before the Lord. Not because of anything I could ever do for Him, but because of what He has done for me at the cross. And here Jesus again presented before the Father's throne dominion over all the nations of the world just as God had promised. We go back to Daniel. So we're seeing these awesome, this awesome vision. What would you do if you saw this vision, if you were Daniel? I don't know what I'd do. I just can't even fathom. It's, it's awesome enough just reading it. But Daniel, in verse 15, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. And the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, all the ages to come. And so the promise that we see in these scriptures is that when sin and the oppression of evil man come to a certain point, God is going to renounce it, He's going to judge it, and He's going to establish His kingdom. And the promise for you and I is for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, meaning we've asked God for forgiveness of my sin, and we believe that Christ died for my sin, we believe that uh, you know, through His Word that we are now in Christ, we have this promise to be part of that kingdom. Now, going back to Daniel chapter 7 and that scene from Revelation chapter 5, what it mentions, the books being opened. 
You think about the Lamb's Book of Life, a, which is a book containing the names of all those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We'll get into more of that, the Lamb Books of Life, in our study. But in closing, I want us to look at Revelation chapter 20. Connecting with the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow, thanks for encouraging us with that, right? What do we gain when we look at the Daniel chapter 7 to this point? Well, first of all, you must consider whether your name is written in the book, Lamb's Book of Life. When you read about God sitting on His throne, when you think about the fire coming out of His mouth against judgment, against unbelief, you have to ask yourself, is that judgment coming from me? Or am I a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? There, my point in this is, there's a distinction. You're not going to go to heaven, you're not going to be away from God's judgment by being a good person. There's not enough good deeds you can do to earn your way to heaven. The only way to heaven is to acknowledge the one that God sent to die for your sin. And believing that he died for your sin. And as the scriptures say, he was sent the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. That's first and most important. Because if you are not that believer, if you are not a believer, you, this is what you have to look forward to, is judgment. Point number two is, for those who are in Christ, which probably everybody here, our God is a consuming fire. We don't have the right to live a life any old way that we want because he shed his precious blood for our sin. And we have given the freedom to live a life for Jesus. You see, when I came to Christ, the sin had no power over me. I don't have to sin. Before I came to Christ, I had to sin because that's who I am. 
But now I'm a saved sinner. Now when I sin, it's because I chose to. But I can choose not to sin. Amen? I can choose to live my life for Christ. And we have this wonderful hope. Blessed hope. When we read of these things in the scripture pointing to end times, God wants us to live with the promise. We're going to spend eternity with him. Amen? That is our great hope. It's a great joy. If we're living and walking in Christ with him, man, we should be telling everybody we come in contact with. Because we know, folks, time is short. Amen? We're going to close with communion this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different. Jim, if you